Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. It's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Bradley South, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, eight-year NFL vet. Today's guest on Talk of Champions, good friend of the program, it's Nick Suss. He covers Ole Miss for the Jackson Clarion Ledger. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, Talk of Champions in iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. It doesn't matter what you say, as long as it's five stars. This podcast can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Just simply search Talk of Champions. And I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, an affiliate of On3.com. Brad, what's up, man? What's up, babe? How are you? good man just just having the case of the mondays man after after staying up pretty late after that um tennessee game trying to get back into the swing of things for the week but i'm not gonna lie i was pretty exhausted do you feel any differently about this old miss team after the win at tennessee knowing how banged up they are and then lsu going out there and putting it on florida do you feel any different today um, no, I mean, I think we have a really good team, but I don't think we have a team that is good enough to lose a bunch of players. And, and, and I think that, that what you've seen the last couple of weeks is we we've gotten by and we've won, but I think if we're fully healthy in both those games, we, we potentially win by more. Um, you saw early on in the game, Braylon Sanders was wide open on one. I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff we're missing, you know, the Mingos in there, um, just, just stuff like that. There's some mistakes on the O-line, um, that, you know, I think had, had we been fully healthy there, we, we may be a little bit better. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I think we're a good team, but we're only a good team if our, if our best players are out there. Um, if not, um, I think games are going to continue to be close. Well, the SEC on Monday announced a $250,000 fine for Tennessee because of the incident. An incident's doing a lot of work in that sentence. The incident on Saturday, the 20-minute delay that resulted in golf balls, mustard bottles, pretty much anything and everything that could possibly be thrown was pretty much thrown. And also, they are required, as Tennessee, according to the SEC, to use, quote, all available resources to identify the individuals who were throwing debris onto the field. We talked about this in the morning after show, what is now the Blue Delta Jeans morning after show, because my life's a little bit different now. You were there. You experienced it in the wildness of it. Does $250,000 in a fine and identifying some of the perpetrators really answer for it, for what happened, how ugly it was? Well, I think with the policies in place, it, um, it's, it's all they could do, honestly. 
Um, you know, I don't think when they make those policies, they expect something that severe to happen. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, man, um, I'm sure there are, there are tons and tons of great Tennessee fans and, and good, solid people. But, you know, uh, unfortunately, those people all get a bad name for, for the, you know, the a lot of people that did that this week. You know, it was it honestly was brutal. Man, I, I've seen stuff being thrown before. You know, I've, I've seen teams throw throw stuff on the field but I've never seen it for that long and that intense. I mean, it was almost, it almost felt like a, I was, I was at like a, a, a overseas soccer riot is honestly what the feel was in the stadium. Um, so no, I don't think that the punishment was, was severe enough, but you know, by, by, by standard, by policy, that's, um, you know, that, that that's what they got. But at the end of the day, the ones they do catch are going to be banned from the game. And, and I, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine wanting to throw something on the field and not ever be able to go to your team's game. And not to mention you're throwing stuff at 18, 19 year old kids. Like, you know, you have nothing to do with what goes on that field. You're nothing more than a fan. There's no reason for you to, to throw stuff at, at, at you know, at, at kids that are out there working their tail off, you know, and it's just, it's a, it's a game. You know, if that was your kid on the field, would you want bottles flying at your kid or your family member? It's just disrespectful. It's just just disgusting. And a lot of those guys, you wouldn't throw a bottle if that player was in your face. So, um, you know, why, why do it from afar like a coward? That is really well put. Mark Robinson said something to that effect, the Ole Miss linebacker after the game, about how it's really hard as an athlete to have to continue to take the high road when everyone around you doesn't. And it's not just in football. It's not just at Ole Miss, Tennessee, that we've seen bad actions by fans that put players in danger and stuff like that. We've seen it on NBA floors a lot. And it's true. It's as if the players have to adhere to a different code of conduct compared to everybody else. And that's hard to do because human nature would tell you, you got somebody throwing golf balls at you. Well, you better be prepared to swing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I'm glad Mark Robinson said that. That is true with athletes, man. Um, you know, always, always having to take the high road is tough. I respect the ones that can do it, but I'll be honest with you, as a player, if if somebody you know disrespect me in the streets, I'm beating the shit out of them. Period. Like I don't oh. care. So, <laughs> oh. um, you know, it, it 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 is what it is. You know, you're athletes on the field, but outside of that, you're you're a human being and, and it is disrespectful to, to, to think that those guys are just, just characters out there or, or pure entertainment and you can just sling bottles at them. So just know, I mean, a, a lot of guys are, you know, w- would take that to heart and probably best bet not to do it um, to their face. 18 arrested, 47 ejected at the Ole Miss Tennessee game. But now that we've gotten that out of the way, how Ole Miss won with the defense stepping up offensively they were held scoreless in the fourth quarter they got a lot of injuries Matt Corral's banged up a little gamesmanship maybe from Lane Kiffin talking about Matt Corral on Monday we'll get on that with um, Nick Suss coming up on the Modern Woman phone line looking what LSU did against Florida and then what Ole Miss did against Tennessee this game just has a different look to it now considering where you were in regards to predicting this game last week to now has much changed for you I don't think so. Um, I think that, that LSU, you know, that they, they played well at home. I think Florida probably had a little bit of like what we had. They got in an environment that was, I'm sure, rowdy down in LSU and probably didn't handle it very well. LSU played played well. I, I looked like there were some turnovers in that game. I'll have to rewatch it. But, but the highlights I saw, there was numerous turnovers that led to easy LSU scores. But, you know, LSU's coming, up, coming off a week where, you know, they had their news about their coach being announced, which I've been in that situation before. It's kind of an easy feeling, you know, going into into that week. So 
we'll see how they handle that. But I think if Ole Miss is healthy and, and can get some guys back this week, I don't know if they are. Sounds like Matt Corral is even questionable, which I don't know if that's that's Kiffin's gamesmanship. But um, it's going to be a matter of, if Ole Miss is healthy, they'll, they'll take care of business. They'll beat this LSU team. Um, but if, if they're not healthy um, and, and LSU you know, kind of rallies together, I guess, behind their coach, which it doesn't um, doesn't sound like that's that's the case, but um, you know that the, the, they they could they can certainly step up and beat you. It's a weird place to be to be Ed Orgeron agreeing to leave at the end of the year, a mutual agreement to part ways at the end of the year between LSU and Ed Orgeron. Usually, when a coaching change happens, you fire him and you hire an interim. In Ole Miss's case, when it fired Houston Nutt. They only had really one guy they thought was a viable candidate to be the interim, and that was Gunnar Brewer, and they did not want to make Gunnar Brewer the interim in case they won enough, and then local pressure would have swelled to the point where there would have been a campaign to hire Gunnar Brewer. Ed Orgeron staying on doing the same thing, and Houston Nutt, it did not go well. Y'all did not take that seriously at all. You had moving boxes in the Manning Center while also trying to practice. How awkward of a situation is this? Yeah, it's it's extremely awkward. I I think if um if I'm LSU, I'm I'm certainly moving on and moving on quickly. Um, I mean, you gotta think you're you're giving him this full buyout. Um, as a coach, I mean, are you gonna really put in the extra time and effort or you know whatever? Then think about it as a player. You know, you're, you're essentially writing the season off because you have a, a you know a deadbeat coach coaching your team that um you know who knows if he's gonna prepare prepare or not. I mean, he's getting his money. He's, um, you know, I, I just, it's just never a good situation in my opinion. I've been through it. That's, that's why I can speak on it. And, um, I think all the, the little things that are important to a good team kind of go out the window when it comes to that. Um, you know, it's kind of like, I don't care. He's going to be my coach anyway, not going to be my coach anyway, kind of attitude. So, um, I wonder if people are me thinking about the transfer portal portal and such as well. Um, so I mean, it's just, it's just a bad situation to be in. It's, it's better to, to go the interim route in my opinion. I just remember those practices. You could tell it was just different. The way y'all approached things, there wasn't the seriousness to it that you usually see in practice. It's as if everybody was going through the motions. Why should you in any way try to put forth your best effort in what is essentially a lost season? And what's crazy is LSU just came off a win against Florida. A good win. And they have a bowl in front of them. But those practices, it was an eerie feeling out on the practice field. That's the best way to describe it. It felt like a graveyard, except y'all were just kind of whistling through the graveyard. Yeah, it's awkward. It's awkward for the coach. It's awkward for the players. Um, that The energy just kind of gets killed when you know you just don't know what to expect next. There's just a lot of what ifs. I'm sure there's a lot of guys thinking, hey, you know, there's some guys that liked it. There's some guys that didn't. Hey, is a new coach going to like me? Hey, am I going to have a spot here? Just so much uncertainty. Um, you know, it... it I've just been in a, it's a terrible feeling, um, for them. And that's why sometimes it's best just to, just to go the inner route and, and get some new energy for the players, give them something to play for. But, you know, it certainly almost feels like they've written the season off. But the question is, does it impact Saturday at all? Well, the, the week Houston, and I got fired. We, um, we skipped a practice, I think during the week. Um, and then whenever we went back to practice, I don't know that we ever went in pads and I don't think we were, our game plan was, was very good and we ended up losing to Louisiana Tech. So Jeez, uh, God. And Louisiana Tech that was solid that year and, and they 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 definitely weren't a bad Louisiana Tech team, but we should not have lost to them. But um we got beat pretty bad. Um and it's just the whole law and the, the energy of that game what wasn't there. So I mean I don't know the LSU's that extreme, but um it's certainly a um 
it's certainly I wonder I wonder if it's gonna affect their their um their mental state. See, but any kind of advantage that Ole Miss might get from a lame duckhead coach and the lack of enthusiasm, basically the road to nowhere that LSU is on right now until they hire a new coach, be it Jimbo Fisher, Mel Tucker, hell, maybe even Lane Kiffin. There's been some rumors out there about Lane. I don't think it gets to Lane. Nick Suss is gonna talk about that too. But whatever advantage there might be in that respect, it's kind of wiped away on Ole Miss's end because of all the injuries. And all the injuries were compared to by Lane Kiffin, USC sanctions when he was at USC. The amount of bodies that are unavailable, and that is concerning. Because this LSU team, despite all the weirdness off the field and the awkward nature of the coaching change to come, they have talent on that roster. Ed O's always gotten talent. We know that about him. And that LSU team is talented. I think Ole Miss opened as a 10.5-point favorite against LSU, and I'm not buying that line at all. Yeah, um, it's just going to depend on if two plays. I mean, if, if, if Matt Crowell's in there, I'll feel good about it. Um, but, yeah, you're right, man. It, 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 does, it does concern me with injuries, and I think that that concerns everybody. Because um, Ole Miss is, although they're talented, they're not a super, super deep team. Um, we, you know, we're, we're honestly two years removed from, from our bowl ban and our, our situation with scholarships. So I still think we're a couple of recruiting cycles away from, from getting some, some really good depth. Um, as you've seen it show up this week in the wide receiver room, you know, you had, you had drop passes, um, you know, you had some penalties on the O-line, you had some missed blocks on the O-line, just little stuff like that, where, where our twos aren't really quite like our one. So, um, yeah, I think, I think the depth is going to start being a concern, but at the end of the day, you got to step up, and as long as Matt Crowell's in there, I think I think we're, we we got enough to beat these guys. See, look, I like Casey Kelly a lot. I think he's a really good tight end. Is he a next-level tight end? Probably not. But I really like what he is as a college tight end. But there's a reason why Chase Rogers, in his place when he was injured, was the starter, and that's because of his ability to block. Now, he's missed a lot of blocks and all that kind of stuff, but he has an idea, and for the most part, he gets to where he needs to be. He's not really a pass-catching option for them a little bit, but not in any way the dynamic talent of a Kenny Yeboah, Dawson Knox, not even a Casey Kelly as a receiver, but as a blocker, he's better. And I just didn't expect that to be such a big loss for Ole Miss against Tennessee, but it was noticeable because of what he brings as a blocker. So that's one thing going into this game, the availability of Chase Rogers, whether whether or not he can actually provide any kind of blocking consistency from the tight end position, because I don't think Casey Kelly is necessarily an engaged blocker. I think he tries. I just don't think he can really do it all that particularly well. Great receiver, but if you're wondering why Ole Miss just couldn't run the ball effectively outside of his quarterback, carried it 30 times against Tennessee, well, part of that has to do with the tight end blocking. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. It, it, we we are honestly struggling up front on the road, which I don't know if this goes back. How does to that I happen? Said. How does it happen on the road? Because you can't hear a thing whatsoever, and you're you're having to look at the ball and you're laid off the ball. It is it, you you are a you're at least twenty five percent worse player on the road than you are at home, and it's been like that way forever for O line. I was talking to Todd Wade about this not too long ago about how in that the year, you know, the COVID year when there was no fans in the stands, how every other lineman got to play 16 home games, which was nice. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it, it's just extremely hard to hear and, and getting off the ball, especially on the edges, is tough. Tight end is probably the toughest um, to get off the ball. Um, you know, because you just don't hear the snap count. And you kind of got to react to movement. Um, you got to kind of look at the ball. You don't really get to eye your man. So, so yeah, it makes it very, very tough on the road for an O-line. Not to mention O-line has kind of struggled, um, you know, at times with, with missed assignments and stuff. And it was just um, 
absolutely um, you know, kind of elevated this week on the road with, with it being so loud in such a hostile environment. Well, I'd be shocked, absolutely shocked, if Matt Crowell didn't play. But let's entertain the thought that he might not. Who would you go to at quarterback? Um, I, th- I think they're probably going to start out with Altmaier, but uh, I just think – Well, two's know, playing, but anyway – yeah, they they probably go with Altmaier if not. But it, here's the thing: uh, I know people aren't going to really like this opinion, but combination of Altmaier and Plumlee, and you just create some kind of offense to to, to utilize Plumlee's legs, um, you know, to get us through a game or two if he has to. I think that's, you know, I mean, if you look at last week, our most effective run was the quarterback run. <laughs> you know, our quarterback totaled it 30 times. I think you you see something similar to that this week. So. Um, you know, the, the, I think John Rice would be serviceable enough to get us through a game or two, and, and especially if Altmaier got out there and, and couldn't, um, you know, couldn't cut it. But I mean, you never know. I mean, it, it, you know, it could be a coming out party for Altmaier, and everybody can see how good the kid really is. But you know, we just won't know until until we get him in the game. And but but I think it would be a combination of Altmaier and some packages for Plumlee in there to to do some QB runs. And if he had to throw, he he can certainly throw. I mean, it's not like he can't throw at all, but. Um, yeah, I think it would be a combination of those two. Well, Corral ran for 195 yards. The last quarterback to put up that kind of yards, the second most yardage against an SEC opponent in Ole Miss history since who? John Rice against LSU in 2019. So I'm not calling for John Rice to suddenly be moved back to quarterback, but for a team that's banged up, that was the strategy against Tennessee because you just didn't have options. The only thing that was really working consistently at all was Matt Corral running the ball. Well, if that's going to be the game plan. But here's the thing. Defenses, if they know when John Rice is back there that he has no threat at all, he's no threat at all to throw, well, they're just going to load the box so that won't be available to you. So if you throw John Rice in there, yeah, you can try to scheme all you want to. He's got to show that he can throw it a little bit at least. And that's why I like the idea if it were to happen. It's not going to. Two's going to play. But if you get to that place – I could see where it would make sense to have a little bit of a combination of the two, but it can't be so obvious as it was in 2019. Matt would come in as the passing quarterback. John Rice would go back in. He's predominantly running the ball. It can't be like that. It can't be so obvious. So can you show if it were to happen, it's not going to, but if it were to happen, John Rice, can you pass a little bit to take them off of what they think you're going to do, which is run the ball? And Luke Altmaier, can you run enough, just enough, at least be a threat there to where they think every time you come in, well, you're the passing quarterback. That's the only thing I would say about that. No, but, but what what I think they could do this week is what they started doing with Matt um, this past game. Um, uh, so actually, there's some some play action out of the gun that got him out on the run. Um, you know, so some some stuff like that could help John Rice if they had to pass the ball. Um, you know, they just kind of want to move the pocket. They did it with Corral this week because every time he dropped back, he was, you know, kind of not not necessarily pressured, but not a lot open because they were running a cover two and, and and really you know leave the middle of the field wide open. So. Um, I think you see some of that stuff if if John Rice had to play John Rice had to play quarterback you know, get him out on the run and and um, you know create ways for him to make easy throws and I mean heck you know Ole Miss threw it to the flat in times I mean I think John Rice can probably throw one out to the flat so um, it, it's not like they were just pushing downfield last game the whole whole game anyways. Well, if you haven't already, subscribe to the Ole Miss Spirit on three right now. It's one full year subscription for a dollar, just a dollar. And I rolled out my first Ben's Big Board. I'm covering recruiting. I'm back doing it. That's what I'll be doing predominantly from this point forward. I rolled out my first Big Board. Ole Miss is currently expected to host 
two official visitors for the LSU game. Top 300 wide receiver Antonio Williams, who's the stepson of all-time basketball Ole Miss great Murphy Holloway, was initially scheduled to attend. However, his official has been pushed back tentatively to Texas A&M November 13th. St. Augustine, Florida offensive tackle Matthew McCoy will be in town. So will Opelika defensive back Jarrell Stinston and Ole Miss commitment. And then they're going to have some pretty decorated 2023 visitors, unofficial visitors, including, of course, Arch Manning because Ole Miss is retiring Eli's jersey. So Arch will be in attendance. Jaden Rashada. Bryson Sanders and John Slaughter III. Rashad is a quarterback from California. Sanders is an offensive lineman from Chattanooga. So the question is, with Arch in town, how much is one game, knowing his recruitment, how much is this one game important for just the future and not necessarily staying and keeping in the race? Because they're going to be there the whole time. If he picks anywhere but Ole Miss, I think he's going to come out and say Ole Miss was the number two school. But for this game, with the visitors in town, what kind of production do they need to put on, not just on the field, but from a recruiting standpoint? What What is it going to look like for him? The most important recruit for Ole Miss fans I know right now, what do they got to do this weekend to show him or put Ole Miss's best foot forward? You know, I don't know. that. I, I think at this point, man, that the kid is, you know, anything that happens, you know, if we were to have a sold-out stadium and win 50 to nothing, I don't think, I still don't think it would, would impact his recruitment. I feel the much. same way, yeah. I, I think he is, um, you know, kind of knows knows what he's looking for, kind of knows where he's going. He knows what he'll create, you know, if, if he does go, you know, if he does go to a school. So um, I just don't think there's much you can do to, to, to super impress him other than, than the relationship between him and who's going to be coaching him. And um, that, that at the end of the day, I think that's what they're looking for. I think that's what the family's looking for is, hey, who gives Arch Manning the best chance to become the next Manning great in the NFL? So that's all that matters in this situation. So um, I, I think, I think it's just important that, that he feels you know comfortable with the coaches and who's coaching them. And, and at the end of the day, that that's where he's going to choose his school. It's not going to be based off anything that, you know, they do in recruiting. You're not going to be able to roll out the red carpet for this kid. He's seen Ole Miss a million times. He's seen all these schools a million times. He's, he's been in really, he's going to be a hard kid to impress when it comes to that. I mean, he's, he's been around, you know, the Manning family his whole life. So he's seen nothing but, you know, you know, great environments and, and great, great situations. It's just going to be a matter of who can create a personal relationship with them that he feels comfortable, comfortable with enough to, to, to think he can make it to the next level and um, who can make him better as a, as a quarterback. Well, I was sitting on this, but apparently it's gotten out. Syracuse wide receiver transfer Taj Harris will be taking an Ole Miss official visit this weekend. So that's another visitor that'll be on campus. But they've kind of cleared the deck a little bit to make it the art show. So that's something to follow, some storyline to follow this weekend when Ole Miss hosts LSU, as well as the retirement of Eli's jersey. And every single day this week on the Ole Miss Spirit, we'll have an Eli story from a different perspective. David Cutcliffe, Jesse Mitchell, Cooper, Archie, Chuck cut off with every single one of them to get stories on Eli's, the Eli Manning week, but also recruiting information will be turned out hot and heavy every single day, all week on the Ole Miss Spirit and affiliate of On3.com. So check us out. And right now, for just this week, it's going to run out by Friday. So do it. You can sign up for a full-year sub for $1. So if there are a 1,000 of you right now that are listening to this podcast and you haven't done so, sign up. Help me out. Sign up. I promise you, you won't regret it. It's a dollar. What do you got to lose? This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit. Ben on Twitter. He's Bradley South, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, eight-year NFL vet. If you haven't already subscribed, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. It doesn't matter what you say, as long as it's five stars. This podcast can be found wherever you get your podcast. Just simply search Talk of Champions and go to the Ole Miss Spirit on three and subscribe. A full-year sub for $1. we got to jump now to Nick Suss on the Modern Woman phone line to talk more about Lane Kiffin, LSU, just anything and everything Ole Miss football at this very moment in time here on Talk of Champions. But first, let's say 
bye to Brad. See you, buddy. See you, Ben. Howdy, toddy. That was Bradley South, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, eight-year NFL vet, going now to the Modern Woman phone line to speak to Nick Suss. He covers Ole Miss for the Jackson Clarion Ledger. Before we do, let's hear from BNA Bank and Cheney's Pharmacy, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. BNA Bank is celebrating 125 years of local banking. For generations, BNA Bank has been a stable fixture in Northeast Mississippi, supporting and investing in our local small businesses, local schools, local community events, local charities, and so much more. At BNA Bank, we believe in our local communities, businesses, and organizations because we are a local business, too. Thank you for choosing to bank local with BNA Bank. It's the most wonderful time of the year. No, it's not Christmas time. It's football season, specifically Ole Miss football season. You want to be there, right? In the Grove, in Vaught-Hemingway Stadium, cheering on the Rebels every single Saturday. The only way to do that is to make sure you're healthy, to take care of yourself, to have a pharmacy that you can trust. Well, there's only one pharmacy in Oxford, Mississippi, that can do just that. Cheney's Pharmacy, a locally owned pharmacy that's been in Oxford for over 40 years, as red and blue as the Rebels themselves. Cheney's Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. Hands down, it's not close. So give Cheney's a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can visit them online at Cheney'sPharmacy.com. Make sure your pharmacy is one you can trust. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. The signs of summer are here. Freshly mowed grass, days in the water at the ballpark, and all the rest on the golf course. Well, that's how we do it over here at Oxford and Ole Miss anyway. And PXG Golf Apparel is here to make sure you're locked and loaded for round after round at University Course or Oxford Country Club. PXG has taken its mission to create the most high-quality, high-performance golf clubs in the game to their new line of apparel as well. With PXG Apparel, there's something for everyone. From pants, polos, and sweaters to hats, joggers, and skirts. You'll usually find me with a hat on my head. And PXG has nailed the fitted breathable. And my navy goes with pretty much anything. So don't wait another second. Elevate your style game on and off the course with the PXG Spring Summer 2024 Collection. Head over to pxg.com TOC and use promo code TOC for Talk of Champions at checkout to save 10% on all apparel. That's pxg.com TOC, code TOC for Talk of Champions to save 10% on apparel. PXG, a proud sponsor of the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Modern Woodman Phone Line. Cool, we'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman, let's make a difference together. 
This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit. Ben on Twitter going now to the Modern Woman phone line to speak to Nick Suss. He covers Ole Miss for the Jackson Clarion Ledger. Before we jump to Nick, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, and that's why I always tell people to put your money down at my bookie. The Arizona Cardinals have come out to a hot start. The Chiefs have as many losses as they did last year. And with all the overs hitting in the dying seconds of a game, there's never been a better time to get in on the action. Thankfully, my bookie's double deposit bonus is here to give you a competitive edge over the competition. And all you got to do is sign up and use my promo code TOC for Talk of Champions, TOC, and you'll instantly receive double your first deposit up to $1,000. Take your extra funds and use them towards your NFL picks for week seven. And don't miss out on a winning season. Head to my bookie and use my promo code TOC for Talk of Champions, TOC, and you'll get double your first deposit. That's promo code TOC for Talk of Champions, TOC. So you can double your funds to double your winnings, but anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Have you ever wondered what you're going to do for retirement or if you're ever going to actually be able to retire? Well, if so, give my friend Thomas Chandler at Modern Woodman a call. Thomas specializes in retirement and investment planning and loves helping people plan for their dream. And Modern Woodman offers anything you could possibly need from mutual funds to employee benefits to college savings plans and even a 1% guaranteed annuity. Give Thomas a call at 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. And start taking control of your future today with Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman. Nick, what's going on, man? Not too much. Sitting around letting my cat yell at me. Normal day. I heard that. What's wrong with the cat? Yeah, no, she's... No, that's just her normal speaking volume. That's uh, If you guys ever listen closely to press conferences on Zoom to get some inside baseball, you will hear her yelling when I'm asking questions. She's just a yeller. What's her name? Reese. Reese. Reese the cat. You being a cat Reese person cat. is completely unsurprising. That's the thing. Never lived with a cat before until girlfriend and I moved in together, inherited the cat, oh. and now we're best friends. So you're the cat's stepdad? I think dad at this point is probably fair enough. There wasn't somebody before me. Yeah, when does the statute of limitations run out on that? That you're the stepdad that you I become? I have no idea. Okay. All right. I really don't know, but good good question. I'll, I'll raise that next time I'm in cat court. Make sure to ask your girlfriend, maybe fiance at some point. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But if she chose you, she must be pretty special because you're a lot. I know I'm a lot. But make sure to ask her, am I the yeah. stepdad or the dad? That matters. Yeah. No, it's it's a good question. Very, very good question. All right. You know what's a better question? Will Matt Corral play on Saturday? I think the question is more about will he be 100% than if he plays, don't you? Yes. Yeah, I think he's going to play. Whether he plays the type of football we're accustomed to him playing these last five, six games, I don't know. But... I mean, man, it would have to be a staggeringly bad injury that we're not aware of for him to hold out of this one. I mean, he said after the game, it was, he twisted his ankle and it felt, I think to use his words, dead for a minute. And then he said he felt fine. I'm sure he's sore in every body part because he took 40 or 50 hits in that Tennessee game. But I don't know. I think he'll end up uh, playing in this one and maybe not quite as many designed quarterback draws. Maybe they tell him to throw some balls away instead of tucking his head and running for one or two on a pass play. But other than that, I, I would be kind of surprised if we don't see regular corral. The first thing I said when I heard it, cause I was working on recruiting stuff all day, Monday morning. That's what they want me doing at on three. 
the Ole Miss Spirit now on 3.com. And if you sign up this week for just a dollar, you get a full year sub. So go do it. It's a dollar. It's a dollar. So I was covering recruiting all morning. And then the Kiffin stuff comes out. And my first reaction wasn't, oh, man, Matt Corral, his availability for LSU is in question so much as when has Lane Kiffin ever really talked about injuries in any extensive way during his time at Ole Miss? And I immediately went to the idea of maybe there's a little bit of gamesmanship here. Do I think he's playing on Saturday? Yes. Is he banged up? Yes. No doubt. Rolled ankle? He's hurt. But casting any real doubt of whether or not he'll play is more of him being Lane Kiffin, building it up a little bit, maybe setting a Heisman stage. Because if he goes out there, does Matt Corral and performs when he's, quote, questionable or not 100%, and he goes out there and he balls out, what a gutsy, gritty performance. And it's a not-so-shadow-shadow campaign for the Heisman. Could be. I mean, you're not the only person who thought this way because uh, that's the first thing Ed Orgeron said during his press conference. Oh, too, that, wow, okay. That he thought uh, Kiffin might be uh, casting some doubt here and they'll prepare for the number two, but they're going to prepare as if Corral's playing. So you are not the only person who thought hey, there might be some gamesmanship. And if anybody knows Lane Kiffin, it's it's at Orgeron. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think Kiffin's out here trying to move the line or anything, but he is, no. if he's trying to make LSU prepare for a second thing, how do you even go about preparing for Luke Altmaier? I mean, there's no tape on him. He's thrown four passes and all of them fell to the ground. I just... I guess you prepare for Corral, and if Altmaier's in, you say, yay, we don't have to place Matt Corral. Is it Luke Altmaier? I mean, it could be Pigrome, but I mean, there's he a... He hasn't traveled. There. He um, hasn't traveled once. He, he, tra- he traveled for Alabama. Oh, he did not travel okay. for He did not travel for Tennessee. But, like, I think that it could. there's a world where it could be Pigrome. There's a world where it could be Plumley, but I think that world is rapidly fading away I don't know I, I think it kind of has to be Altmaier if they stick with the offense they have now uh, if they want to pop on that 2019 Richrod film and run the offense that worked against LSU in 2019 with Plumley, be my guest you're you're running out of receivers this roster is starting to rapidly approach that 2019 team where you had Elijah Moore at receiver some gifted running backs and a quarterback doing everything so it wouldn't be the worst plan ever, but I mean, if Corral's functional, he'll still be able to make throws to a Jacor Pearson or a Dennis Jackson. It's just a matter of those guys holding on. Matt Corral did just run the ball 30 times. 30 is a, is a lot. 30. Ben Jarvis Green Ellis was the last Ole Miss player to rush 30 times. And he was a bell cow running back for a bad Ole Miss team. 30 times for Matt Corral, 30 times. So, He's going to play. But if he didn't, it would make some sense considering the personnel that they have for John Rice Plumley. Just throw him in there. If you're going to run the ball 30 times, if that's what's working, why not? Yeah, and I think that what Ole Miss did with Corral running the ball was obviously based on this, the coverage packages they saw from Tennessee. And they knew Tennessee was running a lot of man, and they knew that Tennessee was aggressive with blitzing. And Corral pretty much had it written into his game plan. If you read man and see a blitz go. And that's what he did. And that's why there were so many design draws and so many quick read draws of just like, if Tennessee had man coverage and their guys were backpedaling in coverage, the linebackers were coming, he was going to run past them. 
And, and you and I have talked about Orlando Amana on this podcast before, but he put great in those draw packages. He was doing a great job of getting up field and the offense worked for it. LSU also plays a lot of man historically. So the quarterback run might be there if LSU is aggressive on pressure. And if they're running man coverage and backpedal, I also think LSU probably saw that game plan and probably knows to keep a linebacker in the middle of the field. Matt Corral is going to play. Braylon Sanders is questionable to play. I think he's going to give it a go. It's all about pain tolerance is what I was told. He's dealing with the labrum shoulder injury, but if he can push through it, pain tolerance wise, then he's going to play, but it's all about pain tolerance. But when Lane Kiffin is talking at length about the injuries that they're dealing with, what all are we talking about here? Talking about a lot, man. I mean, at a, certain point during that last game when Braylon went down you were without Jonathan Mingo Braylon Sanders and Chase Rogers who mm. came into I think two weeks ago they were three out of the five top receivers on this team now you're looking at your top targets being other than Drummond who's the second most reliable pass catcher on this team right now Henry Parrish Snoop on those little swing passes I mean Jacor Pearson if he can hold on looks like he's great at getting open it's just a matter of he had some brutal drops Plumley plays okay. I mean, he's a good fourth or fifth option, but I don't know. You have some issues there. The the rotating door at left guard after Caleb Warren has been rough. Uh, Jordan Rhodes and Cedric Melton haven't really impressed quite yet, and that's made things tough. And then, I mean, just the depth issue everywhere. Uh, we can talk about Jerrion and how healthy we think he is and how necessary we think he is, but man, it's not just the starters. It's Everywhere on offense seems to be a little bit banged up. And on defense, I don't think the injury issues are as severe, but you're starting to notice, oh, well, Lakia Henry didn't really play and the defense was still okay. Whereas last year you lose one starter, any of the last five years you lose one starter and it's cataclysm. The defense is starting to find that next man up and the offense is running out of next men. Why didn't Lakia play? That I just kept forgetting to ask because if you didn't notice, a lot of stuff's happened. The last a lot three of days stuff I happened. Got, <laughs> I haven't gotten around to asking about it. And Lakia was in the game at points. He played on special teams, but I mean, I think Mark Robinson played. That's right. The best game we've seen from a linebacker in how long it'll miss? I mean, that was Chance Campbell's first half against game. Louisville. Since then. I mean, Mark Robinson, five tackles for loss as a middle linebacker is hard to pull off. And he was mm-hmm. everywhere and chance is still playing well. And Momo actually got some action, which uh, he hadn't played that much recently, but yeah, that's the thing about this defense is for years, you and I have been talking about, well, the issue is just your paper thin everywhere. And this week, and I don't know how much of it was Tennessee not playing well and how much of it was Ole Miss taking a step forward, but you started to see some guys who we'd been waiting on to make plays, maybe a miles battle with a couple of big pass breakups or someone like Mark Robinson, or obviously Jake Springer coming back in and making a couple of big plays at safety. It started to finally seem like the pieces are where they should be. Uh, And that's progress compared to the offense, which is, I don't want to call it regressing, but I do want to call it banged up as heck. I thought it was pretty telling. When Lane Kiffin in his Monday presser said that last year on the service team, Otis Reese wasn't cleared by the NCAA, Jake Springer sitting out due to NCAA transfer rules, and Mark Robinson, same thing. And every single day in practice, they would look and say, 
those are probably three of the top four guys on our defense and they're not even playing right now. So stands to reason that now that these guys are healthy, now that they're eligible, of course they're going to be out there. Those are their hand-picked guys. So Momo and Lakia Henry, if you didn't do anything or put anything on tape to really incite encouragement or optimism about what you can be and your upside moving forward, they're going to go with their guys. And Jake Springer made a big difference against Tennessee, a huge difference. And so did Mark Robinson, 14 total tackles to lead the team, five tackles for loss. He was all over the place, but it goes beyond that. These are hand-picked guys. If you want to talk about storylines, these are hand-picked guys by this staff to improve a defense. So I understand why fans immediately go to, well, where's this guy or where's that guy? The more concerning thing is, if Mark Robinson gets banged up or if Jake Springer gets banged up or Otis Reese, because those are the guys they've picked to come in, step in, and start. Same thing with Dean Leonard, too. And I think that gets lost a little bit. You concern yourself with certain guys you're used to seeing, but just because you got used to seeing those guys doesn't mean they were necessarily good. And I don't mean disrespect towards Lakia Henry or anybody. I think they're serviceable players, but these are the players that they have chosen to be the lead players for their defense. Yeah, and... Uh, one thing I will admit I was guilty of after the Arkansas game is in the press conference when we were all talking about is the three two six a bad system and all that stuff. Lane said something along the lines of, uh, well, we're waiting to get Jake Springer back. He does for our defense what number one does for theirs. And comparing anyone in the SEC to Jalen Catalan right now uh, almost made my eyes eject from my head. I was like, that's that's probably a little too much to put on Springer. But, again, you take a Tennessee offense that was averaging something like 45 points a game over the last three weeks, and Jake Springer comes back, and they hold him to 26. It's obviously not all Springer. you got to give some credit to scheme, some credit to coaching, and some credit to the other 20 players who contributed. But he was so physical. (laughs) He was the one guy that was new, and you say – well, he made a sack and you say, well, he made tackles in the box. And you say, well, he was making tackles on the perimeter. He was making tackles in open field. He was kind of the straw that stirs the drink to use the overused metaphor of just like he did a little bit of everything. And when you have somebody who makes everybody's job 5% easier, that's definitely going to improve everything. No doubt about it. And defensively, they were improved. It was because of those guys returning. What else did you take away from Lane Kiffin's time with the media on Monday? What really jumped out to you? It was tough to make too much of an assessment on anything after he says in the first 90 seconds, Corral's banged up because then my mind started kind of racing. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I The thing that has been kind of weighing on me is just like, intellectual thought for the last couple of weeks is the way this running back room is working because obviously they're running the ball well, but if corrals banged up to a point that they're probably not going to do designed runs with him, if we're even willing to make that assumption, I don't know who this team's most effective first and second down running back is right now. They tried to make it Snoop Connor. And it didn't work. And I don't know if that has more to do with the offensive line and Tennessee being pretty good defensively, especially up front. Or I just don't know. I don't know what to make of that. That really jumped out to me because I'm thinking to myself as it's starting, it's happening, guys. Snoop's finally getting his run as a starter, and he goes nowhere. I don't think it was necessarily Snoop's fault, but it's more indicative of a bigger problem. Yeah, and I don't be the gloomy guy, but Snoop's played two good games this year and four games where he got completely lost. 
and like obviously in the Tennessee game, he scores two one yard touchdowns and he gets in the stat sheet. But I mean, other than the Arkansas game and about three quarters of the Louisville game, he really hasn't done all that much this year. And I don't know. I, I think that Henry Parrish has proven to be very elusive, but when he's on the field, defenses seem to know what's coming. Jerry Neely should be the best running back on this team. I don't know if it's a lingering injury or if it's something before the injury, because he wasn't all that effective against anybody, but Austin P or Tulane. I can't remember which one it was. He had the big game against. I think he's hurt, but that's purely my I, speculation. I he just hurt. looks hurt. He just looks hurt. It's just, there's something about it that this team's most effective third down runner by far this year has been corral. I don't know if you've noticed this corral. I looked it up has converted more third downs with his legs than with his arm this year. Wow. Which is just an absurd number for such an effective quarterback. Uh, It's 11 to 10, but yeah, I mean, he's been their most effective first down runner to kind of make it second and short. He's been their most effective third down runner. I I think that this team's still going to be fine because it uses all four downs and you can get to fourth and short. And when you're on fourth and short, you can use somebody like Parrish or somebody like Snoop to get one or two yards. That's going to work out, but it's about getting to that third and short fourth and short. And if your receivers aren't super reliable, and if your offensive line is letting pressure get to your quarterback, and if your quarterback doesn't have the ability to scramble, I'll liken it to the first two or three weeks that Carson Wentz for the Colts was playing on those bum ankles and teams were just pinning their ears back and saying, we can get to your quarterback before your receivers can get open. LSU has got a phenomenal pass rush and that's got to be the fear. If this team accidentally becomes one dimensional because of its health issues. That was my question. Now that you've seen LSU go out there and put together a really strong performance against a good Florida team. I don't know how good Florida is, but good enough, better than LSU and to jump out to 21 to six, look like they were going to blow them out. It was a close game, final touchdown decision there for LSU to come out on top in that game. And then all of the Ed Orgeron stuff comes out that they've agreed to part ways at the end of the year, just with where LSU is considering what we were thinking about this matchup, maybe last Thursday, where are you now? I am of the opinion and until somebody can prove me wrong, will always be of the opinion that having good players is more important than having good coaching. And at the end of the day, LSU's got a lot of really good football players and that's not going to change. And if you want to talk about injury issues, by goodness, LSU has so many injury issues and that's been holding them back this year. They should be without probably two of the three best corners in the sec and the best receiver in the sec and their pass rush has taken a hit and all that stuff. But I mean, the depth of four stars and five stars on this team, they have an immense amount of talent. And that's a thing that Ole Miss has struggled with in recent years. Uh, Alabama and LSU have just kind of outclassed them in talent. And, and that's led to a lot of wins and for them and a lot of losses for Ole Miss. I think that Ole Miss is starting to catch up talent-wise, but I'm never going to count out an LSU team in any game just because speed, athleticism, size – Really, the only teams that can rival them across the whole country are your Alabamas, Ohio States, Clemsons, Georgias, and Ole Miss just doesn't have the four or five recruiting classes worth of pedigree LSU does. So that's what's going to keep LSU in this game. 
This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at SpiritBit on Twitter. He's Nick Suss at Nick Suss. If you haven't already subscribed, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. It doesn't matter what you say as long as it's five stars. And this podcast can be found wherever you get your podcast. Just simply search Talk of Champions. And I write for the Ole Miss Spirit and Affiliate of On3.com. Bruce Feldman comes out. And a lot of people came out. It wasn't just Bruce, but Bruce is the one I read. Bruce comes out with candidates for LSU at the end of the year, and Lane Kiffin is listed. Now, we've all heard Mel Tucker, Jimbo Fisher's an obvious connection. You've got very, 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 very good sources down there. You're very familiar with LSU. That's your old program as far as coverage. So from a coverage standpoint and Lane Kiffin's candidacy standpoint, what do you think about all this, Lane Kiffin to LSU smoke or whatever it might be? I believe that a lot of people would have to not take that job for them to get serious with Lane. And that has nothing to do So you don't think it gets past Mel, you don't coaching. think it gets past Mel Tucker. I think no. I think that with the people who are in power over there, the number of people they want primarily, I don't think Lane's at the top of that list. And the thing that we all have to acknowledge here is this search probably won't start in earnest for another couple of weeks. They'll send out feelers, but when they're targeting almost exclusively coaches of teams that are currently ranked in the top 25, it's going to be really hard to start setting up interviews. So I don't know when it's going to start in earnest. And I think there's a chance that Lane, if he wants the job, could be proactive and could be aggressive and could be a candidate. But just right now, based on the talent pool of coaches and the names that are circulating, I think that somebody like Billy Napier could be ahead of him on the list. I I don't know that for certain, obviously, but that could be a name that they go to first. I I think that uh, you got to explore the names like your Luke Fickles and Matt Campbell's and James Franklin's that seem to be connected to every high profile opening right now. And obviously Jimbo has the built-in connection with Scott Woodward and all, and all that stuff that's there. But I don't know. I get why Lane's name is always connected to everything. And I get why Ole Miss financially probably can't connect the same way that LSU can. We we all understand the the reality of that, but I don't know. I, I think that it's way too premature to start saying that Lane is anywhere near the top of that list. We're going to get right back to Nick Suss on the Modern Woman phone line after I tell you briefly about Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, another proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. What's your schedule looking like this fall? Don't answer that. I already know. Ole Miss football Saturdays, right? It's all back, and you're going to be there. Well, when you're making those trips, why not go in style? In the dream car, truck, or Jeep you've always wanted, well, the only place to go for your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep is Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. From new and used sales to parts and service, Alan Samuels of Oxford aims to provide a truly stellar automotive experience. And what separates Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford from every other dealership is Alan Samuels aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. They're going to get you into your dream car at a price point you can afford, and the process is going to be as seamless as possible. Most everyone who's listened to this podcast should know by now. I only vouch for sponsors I truly believe in. Well, Alan Samuels has been with me the longest. I myself have bought a car from Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, and there's no better car buying experience. Make sure to ask for Byron or Mason and tell them that Talk of Champions sent you so that you can take advantage of any one or more of the services Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford provides. Contact them today at 662-234-8000. That's 662-234-8000. 
It's Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Let's be friends. What does USC do? Gosh, they get who they want. <laughs> I don't know if USC is a better job than LSU. I think right now it probably isn't. But the one thing I will say USC has in its favor, where there are only two schools in college football that have this, and USC is one of them, is that when they're good, they're cool. Like, you could say a lot of things about the Alabama dynasty. You've never called it cool. You've never called Clemson cool or Ohio State cool. USC makes being good at college football really cool. And I think because of that, coaches with a little bit more personality, coaches with a little bit more brand behind them might gravitate to USC a little bit more than they would LSU. And the only other job like USC, I think, is Miami, where they have that cachet of cult of personality type stuff. But I think USC is probably going to go after a lot of the same names that LSU does. I would love to see them uh, think a little broader, try somebody like a Kalani Satake at at, uh, BYU. I think that'd be a really cool fit over there. Uh, Maybe we'll start to hear somebody whispering about Jamie Chadwell and all the success he's having at Coastal Carolina. Their offense is effectively unstoppable at, at the group of five level. And it'd be really cool to see what he could do with athletes uh, Craig Bowl at Wyoming. Uh, I don't think he's getting the USC job, but this, uh, I'm just bored of the same six names being brought up for every <laughs> coaching search every year. That's I'm what just, happens. I'm though. trying to spitball. No, but it's been like four years of this. Even when Lane Kiffin's at FAU, Lane Kiffin's at Alabama, Lane Kiffin's at Ole Miss, we're talking about Lane Kiffin. Uh, James Franklin hasn't left Penn State in what is it? He's been there like eight or nine years now. And every year we're like, is this the year he's ready to leave? He's got a top 10 team. Why is he ready to leave? Oh, is this the year Luke Fickle leaves Cincinnati? He's got the number two or three team in the country, depending on what poll you're looking at. Does he need to leave? Maybe he does, but I mean, if you pay him where he's at. That's my thing is we're stuck in this rut with college football where the only new names are people coming from Saban's rehab clinic. And even then, those are rehashes. Sark wasn't a new name. Sark had previously been the head coach at two different Power 5 programs. That was the closest thing we got to a hot name last year. Just like this year, people are going to say, oh, is Bill O'Brien ready for a second chance? He was the head coach and general manager of an NFL team like 11 months ago. Like, the the list of new names isn't exciting. And I would love it if somebody would come up with something absolutely bonkers that none of us are talking about. And maybe that's what USC ends up doing, hiring somebody that we're like, wait, what? That'd be fun. That'd be a lot more fun than if it's like, oh, they hired Matt Campbell. Cool. Rank this from most likely to least likely. Okay. One. Okay. Jeff Levy returns as offensive coordinator next year. Two. He takes an offensive coordinator job somewhere else, or three, he gets a head coaching job. Uh, three, one, two. I don't think he would take an offensive coordinator job somewhere else. I, I just don't see why. <laughs> um, unless that somewhere else is an NFL job and he's secretly a guy who has NFL aspirations. I think that the most likely scenario is that You look at these schools in Texas and Oklahoma that are playing very well this year, whether it is UTEP or UTSA or extremely less likely Oklahoma State. If one of the head coaches at one of those schools leaves, I think Levy is 
the best candidate over there. SMU is another one that's playing well this year, just with his connections in Texas and with how many good teams in the Southwest there are this year. If one of those head coaches takes a step up, he's got to be a dynamite candidate, you would think, right? You would think. But this Lane Kiffin stuff and being floated for potential openings is never going to stop. When Miami inevitably comes open, he's going to be floated for Miami too, and that makes a lot of sense. And just pick a job. He's going to be floated as a candidate there. And one that makes a lot of sense to me, might not to a lot of other people, but I'm going to throw this out there. If the Miami Dolphins move on from Brian Flores, I'm just saying. To me, the most likely thing for Lane Kiffin as far as advancement and moving up, yes, he's going to flirt with all of these jobs. and He's going to want all of these jobs. That's just who he is, and it's okay. It'd be different if schools weren't coming after your head coach. That means he's not doing his job. He's doing his job. Ole Miss fans should be ecstatic, and you got to do what you got to do to keep him. But Lane Kiffin moving up to the NFL, back to the NFL, with the way the modern NFL is, and the Dolphins being 1-5, and five, and Brian Flores really not turning that around, it could make some sense. There's going to be one NFL team that takes a big swing. Will that big swing be Lane Kiffin? I don't know. But he's rehabilitated his image to such a point that it's not a risk anymore. But, but Ben, haven't you heard that both Spencer Rattler and Anthony Richardson are coming to Ole Miss next year? <laughs> They're going to get a transfer quarterback. That's going to happen. They, they are. They are. They are. I, I don't know if it's one of those guys, but I would be stunned. As of right now today, since I'm back covering recruiting again, as of today, I would say it's more likely they get Richardson than Rattler. Yeah, I, I still think that if Rattler doesn't want to play at Oklahoma next year, he can be picked in the fourth round. Just goes pro. I don't know if it's the best move for him. But it's not. I mean, if that kid, if that kid wants to be a pro next year, he can be a pro next year. You're going to die on that hill. I'm not saying he's going to start in the pros next year. He can be drafted. I'm just saying I had you on this podcast. And we were talking about how Matt Corral could be QB1 for next year's draft. And you said that NFL scouts default to the guy that was ordained or preordained to be that guy. And that was Spencer Rattler. I stand by that. So you still, still think, think Spencer Rattler is probably the first quarterback. I still think Sam Howell is probably the first quarterback to the board this year. Fair Why or not? I still think it's probably because they like their guys. And Sam Howell hasn't played that bad. Why do you not just let Matt Corral be that guy? I don't know. Because I I watched him two years ago and I have that hindsight bias, <laughs> of course, hindsight yeah. bias whatever that bias yeah. is. I watched him in 2019 and I remember what it looked like. Growth doesn't happen in the bubble. The guys you're used to covering and watching every single day, growth in our minds just doesn't really happen. It's funny like that. Everybody else, oh yeah, so 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 you always discount the guys you're just in it with every single day. Or you take it way too far, where you're somebody like me who's keeping Elijah Moore on the bench on his fantasy team. Like he's going to have a 200 yard week. One of these weeks, right? Like <laughs> I'm he clinging, never didn't at Ole Miss. I'm clinging to Brandon Ayuk. That's my guy. So yeah, I guess, I guess. But, yeah, no, I mean, if Matt Corral's the number one quarterback off the board this year, I wouldn't be surprised. I thought that everyone who didn't have him as a projected first round pick this year was being a little silly. I always thought he was a back of the first round guy. And maybe through this year, how good he's been, he's played his way into the front of the first round. Obviously, if you're an NFL team, you're concerned about the number of hits he's taking this year, not because you can't teach that out of him, but just because you can't take the hits off of him. But other than that, yeah, he's played his way into the conversation about QB1. But just like I'll talk about with Malik Willis and just like I'll talk about with Sam Howell or any other name you throw out there, Desmond Ritter, 
that has more to do with the lack of a true QB one this year than it does any of these guys absolutely deserving to be the one, one pick. Yeah. You could pick apart any of the four or five, whatever it is. You could pick them apart. Yeah. I can buy that. So has your opinion changed at all about Ole Miss and LSU and how this game turns out? Ole Miss, I think, well, the last time I looked, 10.5-point favorites. I don't know if I buy that right now. Maybe uh, my opinion's been skewed a little bit from Saturday. Has yours been? I don't know. I, I still think that this Ole Miss team is a shade better than this LSU team. And what I really like about Ole Miss right now is the way the pass rush is working. And LSU's offensive line has gotten better over the year, but I mean, at the beginning of the year, they looked really rough and Max Johnson was playing on a skateboard going backwards. I mean, it was, it was tough. And if, if Sam Williams and Cedric Johnson could keep getting there and if Jake Springer can keep rushing from the secondary and if uh, Mark Robinson and Chance Campbell can keep supplying pressure when they come from linebacker, I think that's a pretty helpful advantage. We'll see how if Tyrion Davis Price can run for 290 yards again or whatever he ran for against Florida, because we've seen this Ole Miss run defense be a problem. But with the injury issues, LSU has a receiver. And with the way that offensive line has played this year, I think that the few strengths of this Ole Miss defense could match up pretty well with LSU's weaknesses. And obviously we'll see which guys play. We'll see if Braylon plays. We'll see how Corral looks in the first quarter, all that stuff. But I still do think there's a reason that LSU is bottom five in the SEC in just about every defensive statistic. They're still not all the way up there. Uh, and unless they're getting pass rush on every single play, I think the Ole Miss offense should still be able to be in that 30-point range they usually live in. Over, under. Eight and a half wins for Ole Miss at the end of the year. I think for the first time all year, I'm willing to say over. But right now, I still think there are two more losses on the schedule. Buy or sell. Matt Corral leads Ole Miss in rushing on Saturday. Sell. At the end of the year, buy. But Saturday, sell. Buy or sell. A wide receiver not named Ontario Drummond leading Ole Miss in receptions this Saturday. Sell. I think it'll be a running back. Henry Parrish did it against Tennessee. Yeah, I think it'll be a running back. That play, I I was joking with one of the other beat writers in the press box uh, on Saturday that Ole Miss only has six plays in their playbook at this point. (laughs) But one of the six plays where they throw a swing pass to Snoop in the open field and he's got two receivers lead blocking, hand it it to these Ole Miss receivers. They block pretty well. Uh, That was the most effective play they had in the Corral QB draw. And uh, I don't know. I, I think that between Parrish and Snoop on those swing passes, uh, if it's not Drummond, it's going to have to be a running back. Over under two and a half carries for John Rice Plumley as a quarterback on Saturday. Oh, as a quarterback, I'm going to take the under. Mm. But it's kind of a tricky one, though. Over, it's a little tricky it's, it's one. A tricky one. Yeah. It is a very tricky one. I do think he's going to be more incorporated in the offense than he was against uh, Tennessee, maybe back to the level of incorporation they had against Arkansas. The most rushing yards Matt Corral had against Tennessee, the most rushing yards against an SEC opponent by an Ole Miss quarterback since who? Since Plumlee against LSU. I'm saying, that's why I'm saying it. (laughs) If your quarterback's going to lead you in rushing and you're banged up and all your wide receiver options, they're just not there for you, just run it back. 
Didn't Tyrell Pigrome beat Texas one time? Oh God, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just like, there's, no there's a pedigree somewhere. You can you can make a justification for almost all of these guys. I don't know what the justification is for Kincaid Dent, but if you give me five minutes, I might be able to think of it. That'd be tough. That that would be pretty tough. Buy or sell? Lane Kiffin is the head coach of Ole Miss football next year. Bye. That was quick. Buy or sell? Yeah, I, I mean, buy or sell. Lane Kiffin as head coach and Jeff Levy as offensive coordinator together back at Ole Miss next year. Sell. Yep. I think this offense has been too good for two years. I, I mean, the list of coordinators who stay and turn down head coaching jobs, it, it kind of begins and ends with Clemson. Like, where else does that happen? Um, I don't know. I, I think that Lebby's a guy who, for very obvious reasons, probably should have been a head coach three or four years ago and didn't get the opportunity. And I think people are ready to give him the opportunity. And, I mean, at this point, I'd be a little surprised if Ole Miss didn't have new coordinators on both sides of the ball next year, but maybe the defense can keep it up the way they played against Tennessee and at least preserve the defensive staff. Did DJ Durkin save himself from being fired in season by making adjustments and doing what they did against Tennessee? Maybe. I, I don't know if he was ever going to be fired in season, but I, I guess it was, it was always a plausibility. I, I didn't think it was ever going to happen, but the defense trended upwards. That's what I will say. Uh, I'll spin you one. Is Ole Miss's next offensive coordinator already on staff? No. I don't think so either. No. They got some young guys. They obviously brought some people in to grow them, but I don't think so either. Mm -mm. Who are the obvious candidates? I've thought about this a little bit. Um, The joke answer that immediately comes to mind is Clay Helton, because that's funny, but... Let me think. I've kept bringing up uh, Seth Luttrell, who's the sitting head coach at uh, North Texas. If something goes wrong there, they've had a couple of bad years in a row, but he's a really good offensive mind who I think would do some really interesting things here. Uh, If you want to try the Saban model of rehashing somebody, uh, Kevin Sumlin's a heck of an offensive coach, and I don't know what he's up to, and he's probably just sitting on his buyout right now. Oh, he's washed. That would be a dynamite hire. He's washed. Right. He's washed as a head coach. Be a di- Think about the recruits you can get with seven. I Kevin love Sumlin and Lane Kevin, Kevin Sumlin. Staff. I've always thought that Kevin Sumlin at Ole Miss made sense until I saw what he did at Texas A&M and then at Arizona. They went, oh, okay, well, that's why I'm not an AD. Um, Lincoln Riley's brother, is it Garrett Riley? I think he's at SMU. Ooh, I like that. Uh, he's uh, Always hire the brother. He's one to, He's one to pay attention to. Uh, I, I haven't thought too much about this, obviously, but uh, gosh, what's his name? The, the receivers coach. Is it Hankton at Georgia? The receivers coach? Oh, I don't know. He, he's been a heck of a recruiter over there. And obviously Lane's hires with the exceptions with, I think Levy's probably the only exception where his hires have almost always been recruiting first type guys. So I wonder if you try and take somebody from, a recruiting factory like Georgia. Um, trying to think who else is up. I got coming. one. Go for it. Art Bryles. No, no, I don't think he'd be going. He's touched some controversial guys. I don't think he'd go that far. I'm saying I wouldn't dismiss it. 
I would. I'll, I'll dismiss that. All right. But I'm not I'm, saying it's right. I'm, willing, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying. I am willing to let you say I told you so if that happens. I would but, not man, want you would, to have that opportunity and to be able to say that. I would rather not. But I'm, I'm just – I've heard some things. It's it's always something entirely possible. Scott Frost? Oh, he's not going to get fired. <laughs> no, maybe he is. Who no, knows? no. They've uh, been pretty weak. They've been getting better. Nebraska's getting better. If that's the one lesson you take from this podcast, it's that Nebraska's been slowly getting better. So but for the Ole Miss fan that's I'm freaking just, out and worrying about Lane Kiffin leaving, and they come up to you at the bar, well, you wouldn't be at the bar. If they come up to you at Square Books or somewhere – and they ask you, okay, Nick, what's going to happen? What do you really think is going to happen with Lane Kiffin? What do you tell him? I think he'll be here another couple of years. I think that for as much as he's rehabilitated his image, there's still one pretty significant hole in his resume, and that's that he's still really never won anything. And maybe we're projecting a little bit too much and thinking they're going to be in the Sugar Bowl this year, which is always still on the table, but – He's still got to win something first before we can talk about, oh, well, the Miami Dolphins are coming for him or, oh, LSU is coming for him. I mean, he's still got to win something, right? And Ole Miss looks a lot better, and I give him a ton of credit for that. He has energized this program and in two years has turned it around way farther than I thought he would in two years. He's still got to win something, right? Outside of LSU, is there going to be another job opening in the SEC? Gosh, I'm racking my brain. I don't think so. Well, Jimbo Everyone's goes so to mean. LSU, then it's Texas A&M. But other than that, I don't know. <laughs> I think that the, probably the next closest thing to somebody on the hot seat would be Drinkwitz, and, and that's still only year two. Oh, I don't think no. Missouri's the type of program that would move on that fast. No. But that's my point, is that nobody is directly on the hot seat. Maybe Dan Mullen, if things go way south, but I don't think that things He wants go to go to the south, NFL. Maybe. It's not a secret. I've been oh, talking yeah. to a bunch of Mississippi State friends of mine, sources that I talked to a lot about Dan over the years. That's always been the end game for him, the NFL. That's where he wants to be. Yeah, but I, I do think the one problem is uh, who in the NFL is going to hire an Urban Meyer disciple right now. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what's that all this you heard? Against him. I don't know um, if it's come out at all, but I think I saw something on Twitter how there's worse stuff out there about Urban Meyer and this relationship with this woman that he was caught on video playing handsy with. I mean, it's bad. It's bad. It's all bad, but it's one yeah, of those things where everybody against Dan Mullen. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where everybody, when the possibility of Urban Meyer to Jacksonville to become an NFL head coach kind of floated up, everybody and their mother was like, "No, that's terrible. That's going to fail. You didn't have to be an expert." Could have been the dumbest person on the college football totem pole, and everyone was saying, oh, that's really stupid. You shouldn't do that. And shocker, it's been (sighs) stupid. All I know is that if the only thing required to being a coach (laughs) was the X's and O's, and in the case of college, recruiting, Urban Meyer's top five football coach of this generation with Saban and Belichick and Andy Reid and whoever else you want to put fifth, he's a phenomenal football coach. But there's a reason that there has been a trail of everything that has followed him from everywhere. And that's, that doesn't happen with Andy Reid. That doesn't happen with Bill Belichick. Not that he's gone anywhere, but I mean, that's the knock on Urban is that if he's not winning, there's an awful lot to look at. Joe Brady's not going to LSU. 
He's going to be a head coach in the NFL. No, if I'm Joe Brady, I'm waiting out Matt Nagy. Like, why not just say, oh, I want to have Justin Fields as my new toy. He's turning Sam Darnold into a running threat. Imagine what he could do with, um, with Justin Fields. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. He's Nick Suss at Nick Suss on Twitter. He covers Ole Miss for the Jackson Clarion Ledger. Join me for some 40 minutes here on Talk of Champions on this Tuesday. I'm just getting back into the swing of things after the week from hell that was my life last week. So thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate you. No, happy to help, buddy. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.